You are, O oh God, holy in every respect. Your holiness reflects all of your perfections. The angels fall down before you, as it were. Isaiah, when he was caught up in his vision, understood his sinfulness when in your presence, O Lord. We serve the only one in true God, that is you. And there is no other God, as you have said. A righteous God and Savior. And you've told us to turn into Turn in me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us to be the teacher. And we need the teacher. Where would we be if our minds could not understand the scriptures? So open our minds to understand your magnificent word. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 40, John 4, verses, starting at verse 46, and we're going to be dealing down through chapter 5, down through verse 18. John 4, 46. He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea to Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said, therefore, to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and and started off. And he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. They said therefore to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he came out of Judea into Galilee. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, sir, 
I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet, began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him, Who was cured? It is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who was the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now. And I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Do you remember what I said to you sometime when we began the study of the gospel according to John, what the purpose of John was? John sets forth the purpose of his gospel account In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which here's what it reads. It says, Many other signs therefore Jesus also performed, which are not written in this book, but they have been written that you may believe that Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have eternal life. So the whole purpose of John's gospel account is to record all these Miracles of Jesus as signs proving what? He's the Messiah. And you must believe in him if you're going to have eternal life. So we're going to, we need to always remind ourselves then, what is the purpose of a sign and a wonder? Well, it, it's also helpful for us to, if you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. This is a very helpful passage. Hebrews 2, beginning at verse 1, says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So what what is a wonder? Well, a wonder is this. It is something that is startling that makes people 
awestruck. That's basically what a wonder is. And that's what a miracle is. And when you think about whom Jesus healed and the condition of these people whom he healed, you can see it is indeed a wonder. And so the wonders performed by Jesus, they were miraculous. And he would heal people of all kinds of horrible diseases. He would make the lame walk. He'd make the blind see. He would raise people from the dead. Wondrous things. And the, what the wonder does, it creates a sense of awe and it forms the basis to what the sign is. And the sign, you know, a sign always points to something. It points to the reality and so what the, the, the Bible combines wonders and signs being awestruck of the mighty work of God saying there is something special about the one doing the wonder. And so people would see the wonders that Jesus would do and he would always follow it up. When Jesus healed people, he always normally oftentimes, not always, but he would preach to them. And we see that the apostles in their ministry, what it did, because they had the capacity to do wonders as well in the name of Jesus. And so what that relationship of a sign and wonder, the sign points to what? Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. That's what it was looking uh, intended for. Now tonight, we're going to take a look at two of the si uh, wonders and signs performed by the Lord Jesus. And we saw in John 4:46, we find the, the first uh, wondrous thing that Jesus did. He had come from uh, Judea and he come um, down to Cana of Galilee, where, if you remember, he performed the first of his miraculous deeds by changing the water into wine. And we see here in verse 47 of our text, if you take a look at it, this, this uh, nobleman had a son who was very sick, as the scripture says, at the point of death. And, he, and he, it says that he probably had been in Jerusalem had either seen Jesus do things or heard about Jesus. And of course, he wanted Jesus to go and heal his son. Now, the thing about it is, what we see about this nobleman at first is what faith he had really was on the lowest order of any kind of faith because Notice what Jesus said to him. Kind of an interesting thing, is it not what Jesus said to him when the man asked for his son to be healed? He says to him, look, look there in, in John 4, um, 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. And so we, they're not going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is unless they think there's got to be something spectacular that proves it. But Jesus, and there was a lot of people we're going to see 
Later, when we get to John chapter 6, Jesus is going to be very hard on some people, saying, you know, the only reason you're following me is to see what I'm going to do next. That's not, that is not saving faith. That's just like going to the, uh, some, the, the nearest circus to see some amazing thing. And so there are people, and this man's faith was such that that's how Jesus responded to him. Now, remember, Jesus knew what men were thinking. He knew the hearts of men. He knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly the condition of their heart. He knew that this man's faith was not that great. And that's why Jesus said, unless you see something spectacular, you're not going to believe. And the man pressed him. And of course, Jesus says, well, go and your son lives. Now, what's interesting here, this man's faith at first was nothing like later on when we see the Roman centurion coming to Jesus, wanting him to come and heal his servant. And he says, look, me being a Roman, you Jew, I know you, you, sh- you can't come into my house, so but you don't need to come. All you have to say is he's healed. I'm a man who orders soldiers around. They do what I say. So if you just tell me that he's healed, I believe it. And Jesus says, has everybody heard this man? I have never seen in all of Israel such faith as this man. Now, this nobleman, he was not the heir yet, but he's going to be getting there. Because we see, notice what it says there in verse, um, 51 and following. Well, verse 50, he says, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off. Now you see, this is significant. Remember first, he says, you got to come down here and if you don't come down here, he's going to die. In other words, he had to be present. Now it's the point Jesus says, no, go. Your son lives. And it says the man believed the word that Jesus said. He just believed what Jesus said. And then we see it is confirmed by when the the nobleman goes, he wonders and his servants come and say, your son is well. He says, when did he get well? And he says, well, the seventh hour. And the man immediately knew he got well the moment Jesus said, your son is well. Now, what was the impact of that? on that man. Well, it was quite profound because if you looked at the text here, it says in in verse 53, so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. Sounds kind of familiar with... Um, Paul and the Philippian jailer, uh, very familiar with Paul when he goes preaches to Lydia in Acts chapter 16, when she believes that her whole household is uh, brought and baptized. 
You know, let, let me say this. <clears throat> According to Hebrews 1, the age of miracles has passed. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't do some spectacular things, but we're talking about an age of miracles. Well, I want you to turn to Hebrews 1 so you don't under, you understand exactly what I'm saying. Turn to Hebrews 1. And look at verse 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made all the world. And so what we see here is it used to be that God would reveal himself in dreams, in visions, in, in special events uh, of coming to men. Once Jesus has been revealed, once he's been testified to by the apostles, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't those miracles that, again, remember, what was the purpose? To authenticate the message to authenticate the message, to draw attention to the one doing the wonder and miracle so that you listen to Jesus, so that you listen to his preachers. That was its purpose. We have today, we have the scriptures. We have everything that we need. The, the point here is, do we believe what we read? Remember what Jesus told Thomas? He said, because uh, Jesus had not yet shown himself after his resurrection to Thomas. Thomas says, I, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hand in the side and, 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 and see his nail prints. And Jesus says, well, Thomas, he shows up one Lord's day. He says, Thomas, go ahead and feel me. And he says, my Lord and my God, he falls down and recognizes it, it is true. But he says, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are they who have never seen and yet have believed. See, that's what faith needs to grab hold of is the word of God, the promises of God. And this, this nobleman had finally come to the point to realize all that was needed was Jesus to say the word and his son was healed. Now realizing, um, as we said, that had an impact on this man now finally and an impact on the nobleman's uh, household. So in Jesus's, in Jesus's first miraculous deed in Cana of Galilee in changing the water uh, to wine, here's what Jesus demonstrated. He is the Lord of creation. Now, the scripture does say the Son of God was the agent of creation. We, we are taught that in the book of John, John chapter 1. We're taught that in Hebrews 1 that we just looked at. We're taught that in the book of Colossians that the Son, eternal Son, was the agent of creation. So, what we see here 
Jesus demonstrated his absolute control over the physical universe by the changing of the water into wine. Now, what he does in this healing of this nobleman's son is that he demonstrates that distance has no bearing on his ability to heal people and that his mercy and love can reach out to any distance. And that's what it was with the nobleman's son. In both cases, Jesus made himself known as the son of God and both miracles were designed to bring about faith in those who were in proximity to his miraculous uh, deeds. So in the first miracle, faith was what it did in in the water being changed uh, to wine. The disciples believed, we're told. In, in this one, it says the nobleman believed and his household believed. So that's, that's the miracle that Jesus performs when he goes to Cain of Galilee, but it's not through. Look at uh, Jesus will go back to Judea, we're told, in chapter 5. And he goes back during the feast of the Jews. We're, we're not told what feast it is, but more than likely, the two best possibilities is it was the Passover or is the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of First Fruits. And we, we got to, we wonder why, why did Jesus make himself present during these Jewish festivals, feasts? Because when you study the Old Testament, compare it with the New Testament, guess what those feasts were designed to teach? The Messiah coming. Jesus, man, we're told, he is our Passover, the Apostle Paul says. And he is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. And so it is appropriate for Jesus to go back to Jerusalem during these feasts to do wondrous uh, do wonders and signs after all he's the promised messiah it's only fitting that he would do that remember we've talked about this before when john the baptist was in prison and he sent word by his disciples to ask jesus are you the promised one which i believe the best interpretation was for the sake of his disciples and jesus says well Go back and tell John. And all that Jesus did basically was quote the scriptures. He says, do not the lame walk? Do not the, de- uh, the deaf hear? Do not the dead uh, rise? Is not the gospel preached to the poor? Tell that to John. John knew the Old Testament. So all these wonders that Jesus performed were to demonstrate the purpose of the book of John, that in these signs and wonders to prove that he is indeed the son of God and that you got to believe in him in order to have eternal life. So what we see here in this incident, when he goes back, goes to Jerusalem, he goes to this pool uh, and there are these, uh, these waters. Now, 
depending on who you read, some believe, was that, did an angel really come down? Some have questioned whether uh, that was in the original texts, some of the best manuscripts. Well, let me just say this, is that if there's any manuscript that points to it, we ought to believe it. Sometimes in scriptures, you may have a little italics saying the best manuscripts wonder about this, like the story of the woman caught in adultery coming to Jesus and uh, he forgiving her and writing in the hand. Some say, well, it's not in some of the manuscripts or in 1 John. No, all the indication here is, take a look what happened. An angel would come down, kind of an interesting thing really when you think about it. It says, verse four, an angel of the Lord went down at certain times into the pool, stirred up the water, and whoever uh, then first, after the stirring of the waters, was healed of whatever affliction they had. And so the whole point is, you don't know in this spirit, the whole, uh, an angel is going to come and stir the waters. So you're going to be down there, right, in anticipation. Wonder when it's going to happen. Wonder when it happen. I got to get there first. I got to get in there first. I don't know why it says the first to get in. It was the only one healed. I, all it says, that's what the word of God says. So let's just accept it for what it is. Whoever got in first got the benefits. And we're told in this text that this man, he was lying there. Uh, look how long he had been there. 38 years. He had been lame for 38 years. Now, we're not told whether for 38 years he knew about this and been coming there. We're not told that. But it says that his affliction had lasted for 38 years of being lame. And so Jesus is lying there, and it says... And Jesus knew that he'd already been there a long time in that condition. Well, how did Jesus know that? Same way that Jesus knew that Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree thinking about uh, what a true Israelite was. Uh, that's how Jesus knew what was, uh, Nicodemus was thinking. It's what Jesus, because he is the God-man, knows what men think. He knows their heart. He knew because he accessed his divine part. Now, what's interesting, and I can't explain this. Theologians have discussed this for centuries. The relationship between the human nature of Jesus and the divine nature. The, the Council of Chalcedon, by the way, of which this church was named for, hammered out the doctrine of the person of Christ. And what came out of Chalcedon was that there are two natures, the human and the divine, and they are in union, but they are separate, but then there is a bond between the two. But there's no confusion of the two natures. Two natures, one person, not a split personality, two natures, one person, and there were times that Jesus would access his divine things. Other times, he wouldn't. 
So we're told here, Jesus knew he was there for 38 years. And look at the question. If Jesus knew this, verse eight, well, no, verse six, he says, do you wish to get well? Now, that may seem like a silly question for Jesus to ask. Well, of course he knew that man wanted to get well. He was there at the pool and he was always being beat by somebody to, to get into the pool. And, um, and so this man complained that he was always not able to get in. It would be like, like this. He'd get there, all of a sudden the waters would stir up and go, all right, I'm going to do it. And all of a sudden, Yosef beats him into the pool and he goes, that guy beat me and got to the pool again. Another time it stirs up, Mokiah, he gets into the pool for me. I, I, and the thing about it is, nobody is having mercy on the guy to get him into the pool. They know he's lame, right? They know he can't uh, beat everybody else to the pool. They know that, but they don't do anything about it. And the man complains to Jesus, I don't have anybody to take me to the pool. No, in other words, nobody really cares about me. I've, I've only been crippled for 38 years. They don't seem to care. They're more cared about, well, I've had, uh, you know, this bad cut or whatever it is, and I can get in the pool and get healed. They just were not thinking about this man. Well, we're, see, when, when, that guy, when that man complained to Jesus, what the man is basically saying, I'm helpless. And Jesus knew he was helpless. Now, what's interesting here, Jesus doesn't then pick him up when the water's stirring and put him in the pool. No, Jesus is gonna do something even greater. He looks at him and he says, Take up your pallet and walk. Now that may have seemed like a strange thing. This guy, I don't, we're not told what, if the man was born this way or not. But have you ever seen people with, with withered arms or legs? I mean, it's, they're real tiny because the muscles have atrophied. So here this man is, totally helpless. But in, in a sense, when Jesus says, the man could say, he could have said to Jesus, that's kind of a, a cruel thing to tell me to get up and walk. Can't you see that I'm, I'm a crippled? He doesn't say that. The fact that Jesus says, you want to be well? Of course he wanted to be well. And it probably engendered this idea in, the, in this lame man, is there something about this man? We're never told that he knew anything about Jesus. And the fact that Jesus told him to get up, he immediately got up and picked up his pallet and walked. Now, obviously anybody that was around, they had known this man they had just, what did they just see? 
a wonder. That is what they saw, a wonder. Let's just call him uh, Jose. Jose has been there for all these years. Did you see? He walked out of the pool. It's incredible. What we see here is that he gets up. Now the text says, now it happened to be on the Sabbath when Jesus healed him. And being the Sabbath, we see that the first thing that some of these Jews were saying is, look at verse 10. Who cured this man? And they said, it's the Sabbath. It is not permissible for a man to carry your pallet. Now, we're not told what the nature of that pallet was. Let's just see. Let's just say it was an elaborate rug, okay? And he picks it up. Of course, Jesus says, arise, pick up your pallet, and walk. So the guy walked. He's carrying this. And the Jew said, oh, wait a minute. This is the Sabbath. What are you doing carrying a pallet on the Sabbath? It's unlawful to do that. It's kind of funny. That I meant to say something to you, Aubrey, this morning. I don't know what was wrong with the shades. I was going to say, tonight we're going to talk about uh, something happening. What are you doing correcting the shades on the Sabbath? Because <laughs> something needs to be done, right? And so that's why he did it. These Jews could not get over the fact that this man was healed on the Sabbath day. And in supposed violation of the uh, Mosaic sabbatical laws. Now we know from the scriptures, we know in Exodus 20, verse 10, for example, they were not to do work on the Sabbath. They were to rest. It was a day of rest. We know from Jeremiah, uh, they were not to conduct certain business. Nehemiah uh, warned certain people that would come to the gates on the Sabbath to sell their goods. And he says, now I want you to get out of here. It's unlawful what you're doing. You're not to be doing this. In other words, what, what the law of Moses was teaching is we don't do our normal business on the Lord's day. It is a special day, not of our recreation, as Isaiah says. We don't conduct our business. We rest on the Lord's day. And so what was the great, great sin of this man? He was seen carrying a pallet. So what were these Jews doing? Here's what they were doing. They were superimposing upon the law of Moses their hair-splitting distinctions and regulations. That's what they were doing. They were imposing their human traditions upon the law of Moses. Because the law of Moses didn't forbid that. You know, Christ would often uh, witness against the tradition of the elders. 
Do you remember what he was doing? The, the Pharisees, got, they got all upset with Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 when, he was, when the, the disciples were hungry and he was going, going through the fields and they were picking grain because they were hungry. And they said, whoa, what are you doing picking grain on the Sabbath? Because we're hungry. That's what we're doing. And Jesus' response to them was, well, what did David do when he had the consecrated bread when he came in? He took the consecrated bread that was uh, in the sacrifices because he and his army were, were hungry. Jesus told uh, when he would do things, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and regarding the Sabbath, Jesus would point out to these Jews, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for men, not men for the Sabbath. And so what greater work could ever be done but to heal somebody? And you see, what's incredible here is that they did not marvel at the wonder that this man crippled for 38 years was walking. They didn't even mention that. What they were drawn to is, what are you doing carrying your pallet? It's the Sabbath. And what is this man doing healing someone on the Sabbath? You can't do this. It's unlawful. You know what these Jews and what the Pharisees forgot is what the Psalms say. What is God looking for? It says he's not looking for sacrifices, but for a contrite heart. It's what he looks for. These Jews, all I can say about them is they were evil men. We're going to see they were truly evil, wicked men. And they didn't care about the healing of this man and all that they were concerned about was their interpretation of the law, which was a corruption of the law, mind you. But that's all they cared about. You know, in Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees are all upset that, uh, that Jesus' disciples were not carrying out the, uh, the washing of the, the tradition of the washing of the hands. And they said, why do your disciples don't follow this? And Jesus turns the table and he says, let me ask you, why do you violate the law of God for the sake of your tradition? Oh, and then he really hits hard when he says, these Jews, they would have um, money set aside to give to the temple, okay? In terms of tithing and all this. And we'll just turn to, to Matthew 15 because it fits in well here. Look at Matthew 15 and um, verse 3 and following. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God says, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. 
But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor uh, his father or his mother, and thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So what Jesus was saying is, you have fathers and mothers who are in need to be taken care of financially. But he says, you're not doing anything because this money, let's say this, this, this money you've set aside, it could be used to, to honor your father and mother, which is, by the way, the fifth commandment, right? That is the law of Moses. But you've got this money set aside to give the temple, and though they are in need, you say, oh, no, I, I can't give this to mom or dad because it's dedicated for the temple. Jesus said, you hypocrites. You have set aside the clear commandment of God, the fifth commandment, for your traditions. And Isaiah just said it correctly about you. And so what we see here, what became of this poor man that Jesus healed? Well, we're told in verse 10 and following, it so happened that the Sabbath um, fell within the Passover week. Remember, Jesus had gone down to one of the feasts, and it could have been likely the Passover. And there was a Sabbath between the week of Passover and when that Sabbath was called a high Sabbath because it was during the week of Passover, that holy week. And this is, this is the day that Jesus heals this man on a high Sabbath. And most interesting, in ver if you look at verse 14, Jesus comes back into the temple and he finds this man well. Of course, he healed him. Of course, he's well. And he says something quite intriguing. He says, you've become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. Now, we're not told necessarily that people, it's not because some people have sinned that they are being punished by God. Remember, that was the problem of Job's friends. Job, you must have sinned. The condition you're in, Job, it's got to be because you've some sin. Just confess it. Because things like this don't happen to righteous men. So, fess up, Job. But sometimes, because of sins, People are afflicted. We're not told exactly. And maybe at this point, this man's faith was not 
perhaps a saving faith in Jesus at this point. You know, not everybody that was healed necessarily that says they were uh, converts to Christ. Do you remember the uh, instance where Jesus, you know how terrible leprosy is? I mean, leprosy, I don't think any, uh, any of us have ever seen lepers. It's a horrible disease where your flesh just rots away. And if you touch someone's arm, it could just fall off. It, it, and they, they separated people. And they had leper colonies. It was a horrible disease. And remember, Jesus heals 10 lepers. They were instantly healed. They go away. And remember the story? Only one comes back to thank Jesus. And Jesus' response was, uh, I thought I healed nine others. Where, where are they? They got healed of this horrible disease and they didn't even have the courtesy to come back and thank Jesus. So we're not told here what Jesus says, whatever sin has happened, uh, well, he says, don't go out and sin so that nothing worse could befall you. Well, what, what worse things could it be? Well, this, Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill only the body but not the soul, but fear him who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. And then Jesus said, it's recorded in Mark, he says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, for it's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to be cast, than to have both eyes and be cast into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Yeah, that's the worst thing that could fall you if you don't get right with the Lord and confess your sins. So he, for whatever reason, Jesus believed he needed to warn this man and left it at that. And of course, from the text, finally they find out, they, they press the guy where the man goes and tells the Jews, well, the one who healed me was this man, Jesus. Look at verse 16. This goes to show how corrupt these Jews were. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. How dare you, Jesus, heal this man who had been crippled for 38 years? How dare you heal this man on the Sabbath? What were you thinking? And we look at it and says, how corrupt can you be to want to persecute Jesus because he showed mercy to this poor man who was crippled? You've got to have a dark heart. I mean a dark heart. 
And notice they said they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing it on the Sabbath. Well, what, what was Jesus' purpose for coming into this world? He says, verse 17, my father is working until now and I myself am working. I've come to do the will of God and I've come to heal these people so that they would be all struck with this wonder and then it would serve as a sign to believe in me as the son of God because if you don't believe in me as the son of God, you're not going to enter eternal life. So I'm, Jesus is telling these Jews, I'm doing the will of my Father, and the will of my Father is to show mercy. And I showed mercy to this man. What greater day than it is to do it? You know, our, our Westminster Confession says one of the things that we ought to be doing on the Lord's Day is besides rest, besides uh, putting ourselves under the preaching of the Word of God, remember what else it says that we should be doing? Acts of mercy, right there. Well, if, if there were some Pharisees, they would say, better not do those acts of mercy on the Sabbath. And if you look at verse 18, this is our last concluding verse. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They wanted to actually kill him. Why? How dare you heal on the Sabbath? They've already demonstrated they had corrupted the law of Moses because Moses' law never said that you can't do that. But then when Jesus says, I'm doing my father's work, they understood exactly what he meant. Because look what the text says. He not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, from the Jews' vantage point, what was the great sin they saw Jesus doing? What did they accuse him of? Besides, uh, it's called... Starts with a B. <laughs> Blasphemy. Blasphemy. They had blasphemed God because any man that would even associate himself with God, the, the name that God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3, Yahweh, the Jews, so that they wouldn't be guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain, would never say Yahweh, lest they would be guilty of taking the Lord's name in vain. And here comes this man who blasphemes in their thinking, because what are you, a man, doing claiming to be God? Now, jumping ahead, you remember when Jesus is arrested and he's brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of the Jews, and they were always plotting to kill Jesus. And um, they got false witnesses. And finally, Caiaphas, you remember Caiaphas says, just, he just ends it right there. He says, 
Just tell us, tell us right now, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And that's, Jesus was never saying a word until he was put under an oath. He was put under an oath by the religious leader. And the minute he said, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? He said, you words have said it. And Caiaphas tore his robes and says, we don't need to hear anymore. We don't, this is it. This man claimed to be God. And so what we see here is we, we see the, the absurd and unreasonable enmity that these people had against the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jess touched on it this morning's message. He says, you know, if they persecuted me, talking about the Christian life and the difficulties that we're going to go through in the, diff- the, the Christian life, and Jesus says, look, if, if they have persecuted me in John 15, he says, if they've persecuted me, the servant is not greater than the master. If they've persecuted the master, you're going to get persecuted. Jesus made this poor man well. He was doing good in Israel. And for that sake, the enemies of God were determined to destroy him. You know, every time you read in the scriptures, let me just conclude with this. Maybe go home tonight and just read Matthew 23 for a moment. And you will find the most scathing rebuke that Jesus ever gave to anybody in Matthew 23. That's where he called them whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you are rotting flesh. You killed all the prophets that ever came to you from this place to the temple and now you're getting ready to kill the son of God. You are filling up to the brim the wrath of God against you. You see, Jesus could speak that way to the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because he knew their hearts were corrupt. And that's why he said what he said to them. Jesus could see faith and he could see corruption. And so the whole purpose again of John's gospel is by these signs and wonders were for the purpose of getting people awestruck so that This man has to be the son of God. And I need to believe in this man for eternal life. Let us pray. Lord, help us to revere your word because what we have before us, though we have never seen all these things, we're like those whom Jesus told Thomas the greater one is the one who has never seen and yet has believed. We've never seen with our eyes the miracles that these did, and yet we here tonight, we believe. We believe because we believe the word.
and we will be commended for that glorious fact. Help us in our faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.